Our good word continues from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we've discovered now that Paul prayed for these saints. Now, please don't forget, there are three methods that God has for establishing his children. That's the whole theme of chapter 3, establishing people in the faith. Number one, he wrote them a letter. That's the word of God. Number two, he sent them a man. That's the church of God. We need the church to help us. And thirdly, he prayed for them. And I I want us to look at this prayer. It's a very wonderful prayer. Verses 9 through 13. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints." Now, Paul's prayer was that they might be developed in their Christian life. You know, you can tell a great deal about a person's spiritual life by his prayers. Now, we should not be critical of prayers. I do believe some people pray too long in public. Let me say this to you, Christian friend. If you're called on to pray in public, don't pray all night. Don't pray around the world. D.L. Moody was in the habit when people prayed too long of interrupting them. I do believe, I've read this, that the great missionary to the Arctic, Uh, Sir Winfred Grenfell felt his call to the ministry through a prayer meeting. He went to a prayer meeting where D.L. Moody was in charge, and some man was praying and praying and praying, and Grenfell was just about to leave when Moody stood up and said, Now, while our brother is praying, let us sing hymn number so-and-so. Now, D.L. Moody could get away with this. And Grenfell said, This man is real. I want to hear more from him. And as a result, he was called into Christian service. Now, Paul's prayers reveal Paul's heart. You read the great prayers of Paul in his letters, in Romans, and in Ephesians, and Colossians, and Philippians, these tremendous prayers. What a man prays for reveals his heart. Now, Paul didn't pray that they might be rich. Paul didn't pray that they might have their bodies healed. Nothing wrong with praying for material things if you need them. Nothing wrong with praying for healing if you need it. But you know, Paul's greatest prayers were for spiritual things. Our greatest need is for the spiritual not the material. Would we be better Christians if we had twice as much money? I doubt it. We might be poorer Christians. Would we be better Christians if we had more influence? I doubt it. We might have less spirituality. Paul's prayer had to do with spiritual things. He prayed, first of all, that they might be perfected in their faith. That's down in verse 10. Secondly, he prayed that they might be abounding in their love, and that's down in verse 12. And thirdly, he have prayed that they might be established in their hope. Now, here we've come once again to those three Christian graces, faith, hope, and love. Look at it now. He prayed that they might be perfected in their faith. Verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So, he prayed that they might be perfected in their faith. Secondly, that they might be abounding in their love. Verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Thirdly, that they might be established in their hope to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness 
before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, faith, hope, and love are called the great Christian graces, the great Christian virtues. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. One of these days, hope is going to be realized, and we'll no longer have to hope for anything. We'll see the Lord Jesus. And faith will be realized. One of these days, we will no longer have to live by faith. We'll have perfect bodies. We'll be in a perfect environment forever and ever. But we always will have love, because God is love, and God never changes. And heaven is a great home of love. And won't it be wonderful when we enter into eternity with the Lord Jesus to know there'll be no more fights or misunderstandings or quarrels or wars because we'll be perfected in our love. Now, I'd like to take this prayer and just examine it for a little while. Verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Verse 9 is an interesting verse in that it shows us that when Paul prayed, it was with thanksgiving and joy. I hope that prayer is a joyful experience for you. Now, there are times when I've had to wrestle in prayer, and certainly I'm no example as a great prayer warrior. I know the weaknesses of my own prayer life. But sometimes I've had to wrestle in prayer, and there really wasn't the joy there should have been. And I must confess there are times and maybe you've had the same experience, when I've prayed and I've not really been thankful. But you know, when prayer is marked by joy and thankfulness, there's power. I think the most important part of our praying is the very beginning when we get our hearts adjusted to the Lord. Now, there are emergencies when we just can't take time for that. We just rush into God's presence and say, Lord, help me. When Peter was sinking there on the sea, He didn't have time for any long-winded preliminaries. He just said, Lord, save me, and God saved him. I'm talking about our daily prayer life, and I hope you do have a daily prayer life. I hope that somewhere in your home there is a holy of holies where you can close the door the way Jesus said, go into your closet, your secret place, and close the door and pray to your Father. I hope that you have this place in your home. You say, well, Pastor Wearsby, I have a family and I've got children. You know, children can be taught that when mother goes into the bedroom and closes the door, she's praying. And you know, they'll learn how to be quiet. They can be taught that when father goes into a room and closes the door, he's praying. Children can learn to respect the prayer life of the parents. And as children get older, they ought to be taught to have a prayer life of their own. The greatest need among our children today is to be taught a personal devotional life so that that little one, as he grows up, is accustomed every day to read the Bible and to pray. Someone asked me recently, I was in a conference, why is it that the second generation of Christians so often doesn't believe the way the first generation did? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine recently who has been at his church some 26 years. He said, you know, the the old guard, the old board members and leaders who were with me 26 years ago, many of them are gone. He said, I've been there long enough to have their sons take their place. I said, what's it like? He said, it's hard because the sons don't appreciate the faith of their fathers. The second generation so often comes along and does not defend the faith of the first generation. We're seeing this today in our churches. I think one reason why, now there are many possible reasons, But I think one reason why is this. We do not teach our children personal, 
holiness, a personal devotional life with the Lord, and they grow up on a substitute faith, and they don't really have a faith of their own. Now, Paul, when he prayed, was filled with thanksgiving and with joy. And this is a test of our praying power. If I'm thankful, we're told over in the book of Philippians that thanksgiving is a very definite part of our prayer life. We should not eliminate thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, says Philippians 4, 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And so um, Paul was thankful and Paul was joyful. Is prayer a joy to you? Or is it, is it just something you have to endure? You say, well, I better pray today. Oh, I, I pray in my own life that prayer, fellowship with God, might be a joyful experience with him. Now, he prayed, first of all, that they might be perfected in their faith. Now, let's remind ourselves of his prayer, that they might be perfected in faith, that they might be abounding in love, that they might be established in hope. You see, if anything will cause trouble in a local church, it's doubt and division, and discouragement. Those are the three D's that cause all kinds of trouble in our churches. Doubt. Oh, we we can't increase our missionary budget. We'll never make it. We can't build a new building. We'll never make it. Oh, pastor, we can't start that new group. It just won't succeed. Doubt. So many churches are like the Jews when they got to Kadesh Barnea. That was on the borderline of the promised land. And And they sent those 12 spies in to see whether or not God had told the truth. Now, God had told them that it was a land of milk and honey, a great land, a bountiful land. They didn't believe it. They said, let's send some spies in to see whether or not God's telling the truth. Let's try God out. And so they sent 12 men in. They stayed for 40 days. They surveyed the land, and they came back, and they said, man, that land is better than what God said. It's a fantastic land. But 10 of those spies said, yeah... It's a great land, but, but, we saw cities, and these cities had great big walls around them, and we looked at those walls, and on top of those walls, we saw giants. We'll never be able to conquer that land. That was doubt. Two of the men gave a minority report. It's interesting that the minority report was rejected. It usually is. So often in the Bible, the majority votes wrong because they don't follow the will of the Lord. The minority report said from Caleb, look, we can make it. We can do it. Sure, we saw the walls, and we looked on top of the walls, and we saw the giants. But I'll tell you this much, we looked beyond the giants, said Caleb and Joshua. We looked beyond the giants, and we saw God. And God's still on the throne. Sure, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, but God doesn't look upon us as grasshoppers. We're God's children. Well, the minority report was voted down, and doubt, doubt kept the Jews out of the land of Canaan for 40 years. You know, there are many churches that come to a a Kadesh Barnea place. They come to a place where by faith they have to step out. They just can't keep on treading the same water. They just simply can't keep on living in the same rut. They simply can't keep on maintaining the status quo. They've got to launch out by faith, and doubt comes in and they say, oh, we can't do it. And so they wander around. There are churches today that are wandering around, wasting time. They can't get pastors. Things are going from bad to worse because they didn't have the faith to step out and trust God. Then there's always division. Division will ruin a church. 
some little clique gets together, they don't like something, and so they fuss about it. Instead of going to the pastor and saying, Pastor, we've got a problem here. Let's talk it over. Let's pray it over. They fuss about it. A little sore grows, a little bit of infection grows, and before long, it grows and spreads and poisons the whole group. Division. Now, the only way to get rid of doubt is to be perfected in your faith. And the only way to get rid of division is to be abounding in your love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is able to disagree without being disagreeable. When two people love each other, they can disagree without being disagreeable. So often we'll find our children disagreeing and even fighting. Let's face it now, our children have to learn. And I recall saying to my my one daughter one day, I said, "Uh, why are you and your sister fighting? I don't know. You don't ever see mother and dad fighting. Mother and daddy don't argue with each other and fight. How come? Well, you're grown up. I said, no, no, lots of grown-ups fight. Mother and daddy love each other. And when you love somebody, you get along with them. Now, if you'd learn how to love your sister, you'd get along with her. Well, children have to be taught and have to learn how to love, but so do Christians. And we have division in our churches today because people are not abounding in love. And finally, We have discouragement in our churches because people are not established in hope, just hopeless, discouragement. These things go together. Where there's faith, there'll be hope. And where there's faith and hope, there'll be love. This is why a bride and groom are so happy. They trust each other. They love each other. The future is so bright for them. And that's why they have abounding, wonderful joy. Now, how about your church? Are you contributing in your church to perfection in faith, abounding in love, establishment in hope, or because of your spiritual life, are you contributing doubt and division and discouragement? This is Pastor Warren Wiersbe at Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. The program is What's the Good Word? And in our next lesson, we're going to find out how to be perfected in our faith.